What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast. Uh, today is Saturday, July 25th, 2015, and you guys listen to the special edition, part two of episode 218, which I put out earlier in the week. I said I was going to get this guy uh, here in Boston, and I did. Um, I've talked about his movie, Oxymorons, and uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. So thanks for being here. Johnny Hickey is here. No doubt. In studio. No doubt. Uh, yeah, and um, there were so many things that I talked about with your movie, how it made me feel. It was insane. It was uh, ups and downs, and you got this unsettling feeling of real and sad, but then redemption and the whole thing, and that's why your movie took, took me on a ride. Um, just to give the people a backstory, I met you at the Wilbur Theater when I opened up for Bill Burr. Uh, it was an insane, it was Bill's legendary 19 sold out shows in a row at the Wilbur and uh, I had the pleasure and honor of opening for him on 16 of those and one night sure enough the he final says minutes right what's it the final minutes of the tour I would say right? yeah and all of a sudden he's like hey man tonight um this dude who's you know making movies and and doing things and hustling he's coming out to the show and I met you you didn't know I was a comic no idea no and, and yeah cool. we met kind of funny how we met and then um luckily you came the next time you came another show Sunday and one thing that I really thought was really cool that you did was you came up to me and you were like, hey, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know you were a comedian when I first met you a few nights ago. But, uh, you know, I loved your show. You said a lot of nice things. And then we just went out. We had some drinks. We talked. And then that's when I learned about your movie. Yeah, and what caught me off guard meeting you that night. Because, I mean, I met you that night and you were a cool dude. I was like, oh, this dude's chill. But I just, you meet people in the green room all the time. And if you don't, if someone's not like, hey, this is so-and-so, he's yeah. a comic. I just thought you were like somebody from can you know, from Bill's hometown or something. And yeah. You, know, like, you look like a Boston dude. And then you, <laughs> and you know, I think so. I was like, what? I didn't even play it in my head. I had so much going on. Plus, I was, you know, grabbing Bill's time. And then I came to the show Sunday, and you come out on stage, and you're like, you know, the walk and everything. And I'm like, that's the kid that was with me. And so <laughs> then I had to really get into your, your set, which was, you know, I was, it took me for a ride. You did, you did great. And that's sort of like, I, I got to link up with this guy. He's, he's... Uh, no, I appreciate it. And that's, that's when you were like, hey, man, I made this movie. And, and I knew about um, the movie from, you know, when you talked about it with Bill when you came earlier that week. So I watched it. And um, before I talk, before I talk about the movie, what, one thing that I loved about it is it's based on your life. It's based, you're a kid from the streets. Yeah. You know, you're a kid who, who's, you know, been to hell and back. And you've done a lot of, you know, things that, in your life that um, led up to that movie. And, you, you know, and, and one thing that I respect is, you took a negative and a lot of people can just fall in that. And a lot of people can go through hard shit and they just, they don't do anything positive. And you were like, look, you know, and you have that hustle attitude, which I love. Like I'm going to make, I'm going to actually do something positive with this, with this experience I had. And I'm going to write a movie. And I know you, um, you went to jail for a while and you wrote this movie in jail. That- I mean, in jail, I had, I, as a kid, I always wanted to like movies was, was the thing I want, you know, you, everyone has their dream. I don't know how many kids dream or it crosses their mind at one point in life of want to be in Hollywood, act, yeah. be involved in movies. That was, I manifested that as a kid. I, you know, I was like an extra and like little things that came through that were very rare in Boston at the time when I was a child. My teenage years, I just became a product of my environment. I did things that deterred me from ever thinking I could live my dream. And jail was definitely, you know, one of the things that, that was no place for me. A lot of my friends, they go in and they, they brag about it. Or they, they, they really, there's no redemption for them like to, to get so institutionalized. I was like, 
I, I'm, I need to be out making moves, doing things. I, I don't want right. to. So that was a, you know. Wake up call for sure. So it, I, it was inspiring me in there to want to write finally. Because what else, what else am I going to do in there? You know what I mean? I'm not going to, you know, sit there. And play. I'm not a card player. I'm not a big sports guy. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to be. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to write. I'm going to, you know, turn my creative angle. I get out and I fall right back, though, into the same patterns. It's not easy when you get out and you're on probation. They don't make it easy for you to, like, reintegrate back into society by any means right of course so my big you know rock bottom was legitimately rock bottom i got thrown off an 80 foot cliff um south of boston and quincy um you actually were hanging out with a kid mikey that was getting jumped and it was one of the things where i couldn't live down if i left him to get jumped by a group of kids so i had to go in and and help him. Otherwise, I would have went back and been like a pussy in my neck. That's why you got thrown off is because Mikey, he was getting Mikey's jumped. Mikey's mental and said, instead of us like taking the back door out of the hotel where we were outnumbered, he's like, I'm going to go bang with 13 kids, like three carloads of kids because he's a fruitcake, you know? And, I'm, and I, now my friend, <laughs> like, he goes into the crowd and two seconds later, he's on the ground. I see his white t-shirt filling up with blood and he's, what? he's holding onto a bush, like a, a, like a shrub in the parking lot. I'm like, why is he holding on the bush? Why isn't he like trying to get up and like doing somebody or something that Mikey would do. And I'm like, I got to help him. And that's all I remember is like saying, I got to help my boy. No one I'm going to get my head kicked in, but thinking the worst it's going to be is maybe, a, you know, a broken nose, you know, cover up, you know, curl up. Eventually it's going to disperse and might take that's a little it. bit of yeah. a beating. I wake up seven days later out of a coma in Boston Medical Center with a dislocated hip, separated pelvic bone. My bladder exploded, tore my urethra, being told what? by several doctors at BMC that you're never going to walk again. If you do, the best possibility is you're going to be on them still things, like, you know, like a, like a pogo, little pogo stick, and, and you're never going to have kids probably never use your, your man stuff again because you tore your urethra, dude, and we don't have a way of fixing that. So when you're told, <laughs> and so what happened was I, I never did. I never <laughs> that's did. almost the worst part. Right? No, that's the worst you part. You were probably like, listen, I, forget walking. Can I use my dick again? <laughs> Seriously, legit. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, it, it's one thing to be told you're never going to walk again. I, I can't even explain you know, when you see someone that's blind or something, you're like, oh, shit, I'm lucky I'm not blind. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, sure. I'm lucky, I'm, not, I'm lucky I have all the things that I don't appreciate. Sometimes people take a lot of shit for fucking granted. So when you passed on that, you're not going to walk again, and then you're never going to use your dick again. That's a fucking big deal. Yeah. And I, I never did heroin. I never, I never made it to heroin. I was always enough into the pills where the pills were still around enough for us to get high on them, and I never, never went to the dope. And... um. When I was in the hospital, I had the, uh, the morphine drip for the, all the, you know, for the pain. So every six minutes, I could hit, hit this fucking morphine drip, and I would get this feeling, which so I know what it feels like for a heroin addict at first. I would get this feeling. It wasn't the high. It was the fact that for the amount of, short amount of minutes that that morphine went through my system and that initial like, euphoric feeling, I didn't give a shit that I was never going to walk again and never use my dick again. And then I'd come out of that state, and I'd be like, dude, they ain't sending this shit home with me. Right. I know what's good. I, like, I'm a smart dude. I know where this is fucking going. So I ripped it out, went cold turkey in the hospital for about 35 days, I'd say. 35 days, narcotic free. I refused every, not a fucking Tylenol, nothing. Uh, just complete cold turkey. Did you I get sick I'm, doing that? Did you? Um, no, because I had already, I mean, if I got sick, I don't know I was sick because You're right, I had so much going, going on. on I, was, yeah. I was being fed through a tube through my nose. I couldn't eat. All my insides were so fucked up, and my nuts, dude, were bigger than your head. Like that was the, that's the thing I never tell you. I, I looked down, and my ball bag was the size of a basketball in purple. Jeez. Like I don't even know how it's not, like went back to normal again. That's a miracle alone in itself. And when the doctors tell you that, and you 
for me in my head I'm saying fuck that I'm gonna prove these dudes wrong I'm, yeah. and I forced myself to walk again and I in my head I'd just be sitting at home and I grabbed my buddy Mikey who later on not Mikey you know Mikey Cato who later on passed away from Oxycontin abuse um, would help me as a big football player and he would lift me up and put me on the walk and be like do it Johnny and I would just drag myself across the floor and every day got better and better and my, my body my mind and my legs started kind of remembering and somehow Doctors still can't explain it. My pelvic bone—they they, couldn't—they want to wire it together to, so that it would heal. So that—that's how you would be able to possibly walk again. But because I had so many infections going on, my white blood cell count would notice that as like an infection, attack it, and yeah. so they couldn't. So my pelvic bone ultimately was going to heal like a wishbone snapped, and that—that that was it. And they can't explain how my pelvic bone went back on its own. Like muscle has memory. So in my bones. That's amazing, man. Got my dick back too, because I got a beautiful kid now, and you know, you know, got all these, you know, girls running around and stuff like that. But <laughs> when you, when you, when you stumble past those, those walls that are being thrown up in sure. front of you, then it's like, you know what? Well, what's stopping me from making a fucking movie? Yeah. And that's what pushed me to say. And then everyone's like, all right, Johnny, you did survive the cliff and shit, but now he's talking about making a movie. He's making like $12 an hour with the comedy connection, like he's a little fucking nuts, whatever. But I did it, you know? Yeah. And, and I put the movie out there, and it was taken, you know, it's, it's loosely based on my life. It, I switched a lot of the characters around. Like in the movie, I like to tell people, like, the mother dies in the movie. My mother's very well alive, but that was based on my sister, who left behind a 9- and a 10-year-old little boy at the mm-hmm. time. So I, you know, kind of switched people around so people wouldn't get mad at me, things like that. Right, because you, ev- yeah, I got you. every event in that movie, minus... You know, the, like the cop getting killed, which is some embellished Hollywood stuff at the end, but that stuff's happened in Boston, definitely, um, is all stuff based on my life. So when I get thrown off the, the roof in the movie, people are like, well, that's got to be, no, that's not, that's me, that's, you know, a, a resemblance of me getting thrown off the cliff, more or less. So there's all those little things that, right. um, the dude getting hung in jail is based on a dude that hung himself in jail because he got 12 years for selling oxys. Didn't take a plea by and got 12, couldn't deal with it, and hung himself. So everything was kind of based on, Holy shit, on something man. where I just kind of twisted huh. the story around so no one could be like, oh, you know, and come after me. And that's not, I mean, Hollywood does that with, like, there's, I mean, there's, that's what it is. Make, you, you, at the same time, you're making a movie, and e- although you want it to be, you know, real, it, you got to do some yeah, things. Besides the cop getting his face blown off at the end, and that's just because I hated that actor and I wanted to shoot him at the end of the movie. I redid that scene. <laughs> <laughs> besides me, you know, me doing that scene and blowing his face off. Everything in that movie, I can, I can look anybody in the eye, and anyone knows me, and you met, like, my friend, you know it's, it's a real deal. I either lived through that stuff or, you know, secondhand witnessed it right in front of me. Uh, you know, even worse stuff. I mean, there's so much of my life that isn't, that's just one chapter of the Oxycontin stuff that I went through, you know? Was, sure. So there's a lot of stuff in my life and other stories that I want to tell and express and, and turn into positivity that weren't, I didn't even get a chance to express in that movie. So when you were, oh, that's amazing. When, so when you were in your, when you were in your prison cell, were you sitting there writing this? Like, were you up, mm-hmm. like, were you up at night just putting drafts together and just writing no it? No fucking clue what I'm doing. I'm just got some like fucking secondhand fucking yellow piece of paper that they give us, you know, a pencil that I'm shopping on the edge of my bed and I'm just writing shit and writing ideas more than anything. Like characters and storyline and you know that's amazing ideas and so i have you know ideas i have uh from the nightmare like zombie scenes that you see in there yeah that shit's real that's the real like nightmares that i was having in fucking boston medical center i'd have these nightmares where my because i was being fed through that tube i guess you know so my throat felt like someone was pouring fucking lava down it 
You know, that's what I felt like. I like, like someone had a blowtorch in the back of my throat because I haven't been able to drink or eat solids in two weeks. And, and I can't explain what that feels. That hurt worse than like my bones being fucking completely separated. So I'd go into these nightmarish states coming off of the morphine because I made them take me off it where I'd be out in the middle of Mass Ave in Boston and I'd, I knew in my head because I know the area, I know the city. So I, I'd be at the 7-Eleven around the corner near my old elementary school and I'd go into the 7-Eleven. It's like one of those, you know, double-sided coolers like in Dunkin' Donuts and you open and, you know, the other side's where they stock it from, whatever. And, I, and there, everything's completely fucking empty and there's just one chocolate quick just sitting there. And that's just like, oh, you know, I open that. It's better than an oxy, you know what I mean? I open, yeah. that, open that thing just because that chocolate quick's going to soothe. And, and this is in my nightmare. And then all of a sudden, one of the Haitian nurses that works third shift at BMC that were torturing me, like, is on the other side of the cooler. And she has this demonic face. And she grabs a quick, and it melts in her hand. Like, her hand's like, and this, so this is, these are dreams that I'm having where I'm like, yo, dude, you got to switch your fucking game up real quick and, yeah. you know, figure this out. And <laughs> yeah. from that gave me some kind of like, Manifesting, whatever it is, I, you know, it's above and beyond what I understand still, but it's <clears throat> it's cool shit, and it's been able to give me that take that hustle that I had as a street kid and flip it around and, and do cool shit with it. That's and those are always the best success stories of people that had something hard happen to them in their life, and you know, instead of taking the easy way out and making excuses, they work hard, they put their head down, and they do something positive with it. And when I was talking to your buddy Mikey, he said John's the type of guy that, you know, kept everybody together and you got through hard times, which is very commendable. For the people that don't know, it's Verzi Effect Podcast, episode 218, part two, with special guest uh, John Hickey, uh, star of Oxycontins, wrote it, directed it. So uh, if, you've, if you've seen the movie, you know who you're talking to. Um, and uh, yeah, so let me ask you this. When you did that movie, when you wrote that movie, the movie came out in 2010? Uh, 2011, 2011. The first cut was done in 2010. Okay. Like, so it was... Officially released in like theatrically and, and stuff like that. 2011, we did showcase cinemas locally oh. and um, the festivals and stuff like that. So how long did it take from when you put the, the pencil down to that yellow piece of paper the first time to actually having the final edited cut done? How long did it take you? From the, like, from the genuine idea from of From the it, genuine of, idea. Of the first like real screenplay going. Yeah. From the general idea, I mean, I, the, the, I, the idea, I mean, since childhood is I like to tell people because okay. I've always had the idea to make a movie. So if you say that, it's been my whole life. So my whole life I've been living something to, to write and to tell, <laughs> right. and, to, and to write more and more and tell more and more, however I'm going to do it creatively. But the a actual oxymoron screenplay, like in, in that story was uh, when I went to the Comedy Connection, I had my girlfriend at the time was pregnant with my daughter and I was, I just didn't want to, you know, work a, a half-assed job. I, I had to figure out a way into the game. And sure. I, and I knew I could act. I knew I had talent. I know people like me, but I know I didn't want to go to Boston casting and read for a cab driver role 50 times, I could tell you. Because even <laughs> if I got it the 50 times, it's still not going to put me where I need to be. For sure. It's going to be, you're going to get used to, say, stagnant with that kind yeah. of, those kind of moves. So I got to do something outside the box. I got to do something, you know. And so the comedy club was something my cousin did as a kid. And I said, that's where I can get in with, comedians and I've seen them like Jamie Foxx would be there and then look at them now Jim these guys would just guys yeah. that would come through and hang on my cousin I'm, so I hit my cousin I'm like hey I need a job at the comedy connection yeah sat in the comedy connection I was sitting in the back while the comedians were up on stage and while they were up there doing their things they would give me ideas yeah right for my it would inspire me to you know as they're writing their jokes right my movie and different comedians that got on stage would give me ideas for characters in my film in a sense so so when you get out of jail 
your first gig out of jail is to be the door. You are the door guy the at door. the Comedy Connection, which is in Faneuil Hall, Correct. which was in Faneuil Hall. Yep. Wow. So that's a pretty cool. So you, so you, that's so you've always had. While you were making this movie, you've always had ties to comedy and comedians, and you've been around it for yeah, so long. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Comedies and all the comedians, you know. I mean, I was sitting there telling everyone, "I'm gonna make a movie, make a movie," and they, you know, a lot of them, you know, inspired by like, "Do it, dude, do it, do it, do yeah. it." And a lot of people are probably like, "Ah, whatever." Like, you know, I got that from you know, of course. Every, there's a dickhead, dickheads in every group of people. Yeah. But yeah, my roots come from comedy. As much as my movie isn't comedy, I'm I love funny shit. Yeah. If you watch Oxymorons, there's a street humor to it second to none the street yeah. humor it's you know just as as savvy as the the violent shit you know so there's always the mother of my movie is a famous stand-up comedian locally patty ross so yeah there's tons of roots that drive me back to comedy um and that was like that inspired me and pushed me more to, to get this done get this done so i'd say i started putting the pen to the paper like 06 07 writing it out in a notebook um I brought, you know, 20 pages I had done to Lenny Clark. Lenny Clark brought it over to do it with, you know, Larry's people to Apostle Pictures. They didn't have time or anything to, like, deal with the 20 pages, but yeah. whoever it was over there, Serpico or somebody that, you know, high ups that seen it, had one of the writers just work with me online and teach me how to format a screenplay correctly, um, how to, you know, introduce characters within the first 11 pages, and, and work, which, was, which was awesome and, and hooked me up with this uh, free screenwriting software because I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't have a uh, final draft and shit like that. I didn't even know what that was at the time. So it taught me how to use a Mac. Like, shit, I never did, dude. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? On the streets, you don't give a fuck about a Mac versus a yeah. this or that. You know what I mean? Final draft, final kind. I'm like, what the fuck are these people talking about? So I had to learn all that. It was an education to me. Like, writing the movie and working at the comedy club and working with the awesome people that were drawn into my idea. My story was a, a better than, a, a, you know any college education in this fucking city. Oh, sure, sure. And the one thing that I liked about your movie, and I told you this, and I've talked about it when I reviewed your movie on the show, is that when there's a violent scene in it, or if somebody gets attacked, and I don't want to give too much away, but there's no corny bullshit like fuck line. That. You know, no, there's always that line that before it, like Hollywood will say like a line, you know? Or like, the, it's just like, like in the movie, it was like, that guy needs to go. And you make it in your mind that that guy's going to go and then you go and you get that guy and that's how it would really be. And that's one thing that I, it, it was just such a real feeling and that's, that's why I talked about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I like how you did that. It was no bullshit. That's what it was. I never anticipated directing the fucking movie. I had a director attached. 48 hours into shooting Oxymorons, uh, like local teams just came down and like started shaking the setup, you know, because, you know, hire our guys, all that bullshit. And... They didn't know who I was. They just thought I was some, you know, they didn't know who my uncle was. I made some, whatever, I made some phone calls and knew I could make that problem go away, luckily, because politically, I just had those connections to do at the time, which was great for me to be able to get away with that, too, in Boston, obviously. Sure. Um, but the director was, in the first 48 hours, he would do some things where we'd get into arguments, and I'd be, why did I let this dude direct my fucking movie? Because he, he doesn't, this is horrible. This, it was all the shit that you're talking about. It was a candy Corn, Steven Seagal shit, you know, Van Damme, Grey B movie shit that you would see. Which, and I was just like, this, no, it can't be like, and he's like, I'm the director. And then when the teams to do came down, I was thank you guys for coming down and doing that because he got so shook. And I was like, you know what, dude? Yeah, they probably are going to kill you and your mother. You should take the fuck off. <laughs> and he did. He took off. And I was like, I'm directing this movie. We're starting over from the ground so you, up. So you started to panic when this guy started to like butcher yeah, it. Yeah, was, it was going to be a fucking hack job. You would not have enjoyed the movie. Nobody would have. I, I can guarantee you that. So then you yeah, just sat well behind the camera and yeah. you just you I, just I taught myself how to direct 
day three of, of, you know, shoot days, cut everything that, you know, we had already shot, just like trashed it because it was garbage. And, and the second I got in that directing position, the whole crew and everybody was like, thank God, dude. Like, you know, sh- like, you know, it was and just, did you take any acting classes before this? Nothing. No. You didn't take one. No. You just, you I mean, just my jumped. life's an act. When you're a street hustling kid like <laughs> me, everything you do, a lot of the, like, even like, you know, the stories I have going back to doing scores, a lot of it wasn't like bang, bang, shoot them up, like pull out a gun, act tough. A lot of my, my tricks of the game were, were like, you know, something I'd conspire in my mind that was just some fucking mind trick you know I'd be like these droids not concern you and they'd be like here take the money like, <laughs> yeah. sh- shit like that you know yeah, what I mean with, like, my shit. friends on Mike would be like how the fuck do you just do that and I don't yeah. need the no you don't need the knife dude we don't need to kill nobody and catch 10 years let's just Jedi because, mind trick people because you used your mind and that's that's what the amazing thing is that people don't understand and um, I remember my father told me always growing up he goes he always would say I'm not telling you to not do drugs because it's the thing to say and everything. He goes, because you have one brain and one mind, and it's the most powerful weapon. The most powerful weapon in the world is, is, is what's between your ears because, you can, because the smart people can outthink a problem. You know, and I think most people just resort to the, the easy, quick way. And, and that's why, and that's in, that's in exactly, in a nutshell, what you did. You could have went to, stayed in the streets, done that, but instead you were like, okay, I'm a wake up call in, in jail. I'm going to write a fucking movie and I'm going to actually make it. And that's, that's why you survived and did it the way you did it. I put it, the, you know, the silver lining on everything. I mean, obviously, like the cliff. I, if, I lived through all this shit, this crazy shit, getting thrown off the cliff, being a street kid, growing up in the progress of Charleston, cockroaches, all the poor me shit as a kid, whatever, all the things, the choices I made to do dumb jackass shit as an adolescent. But I went through all that not to sit there and be like, fucking poor me. To yeah. be like, now I, gotta, now I can yeah. look back at all that shit yeah. and say, yeah. I'm so glad that I did that because that was my, my learning lesson. That's where I learned to use my mind a lot too and seeing that how I can shower the negativity but just as well, I can shower the positivity sure. and do great fucking things with it. So Yeah, life doesn't care about poor me. There's a lot of poor me's no. out there. And life, life never gave a fuck about poor right. me. And I believe in, <laughs> I, I believe, I'm a firm believer in like balance and shit. So it's like Absolutely. all this shit. You know, if I could take all this fucking stupid shit I did and turn it into all this good shit and inspire someone to not do drugs too at the same time, then I did my justice. And then, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, I have people still to this day that hit me up on Facebook and like, I'm clean today because of you and your movie. My mother's clean. My brother. That's me. amazing. And yeah. That's, that's changing like, lives. Changing lives is yeah. like should doctors don't. It's like fucking shocking, and and that keeps me going. That's one of the you know the. That's one of my. If you fingers. saved one kid's life in Charlestown because he saw the movie and he got off of oxy because of it, which is obviously the gateway to heroin, and you saved that kid's life, what you did that that in itself is is so commendable and something that can never be taken away. It's amazing. Um, I got a lot of things that I want to get to on this, but one thing that I wanted to definitely make sure we talked about was I saw a piece um, when we you know I'm sure when we became friends we looked each other's stuff up and we sent each other clips and hey check this out and check this out and the one thing that I got was. Something about, um, you know, you and Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, so so this is, this is what, and I'm going to obviously let you take it from here, but I just want to set it up where, to my understanding, you were auditioning for the movie The Town, and you were... You were I, audi- I got a call. So I've, you know, I've dealt with the casting agents, obviously. Like I said, I always want to be an actor. So they know who I am. They know that I work at the comedy club. They know I'm reading for roles and stuff. So I get a call to go down to Boston casting because they're casting a Charlestown bank robber movie that Ben Affleck's doing. And why would they not have me read for a <laughs> right. role considering right. I'm a real-ass fucking street kid from Charlestown? <laughs> right, exactly. So it's I'm perfect. like, I, 
you know, my uncle's a real, my uncle's one of the dudes that that movie's loosely fucking, loosely, loosely based on. And, you know, my uncle did 23, 20 years for, um, for banks and shit. He's one of his best friends, he's one of the dudes involved in, like, one of the Hudson. And I don't, you know, find it cool the way they, they glamorize that movie because, like, these dudes went up because they were all messed up and from Charleston and armored truck drivers got killed and shit. And, like, I don't condone, like, fucking just icing people for, like, family. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, some, it's some fucked up horrible shit that, you know, my neighborhood has more bank robbers per, per square clavier than anywhere in the world, whatever the shit is, you know what I mean? And it's like, the way he came in and did that was, at first to me, like, I want to be in, I want to be in this, I want to be in this badass fucking bank robber movie, you know what I mean? Right. Not really thinking about it, just like, thinking about the, the goal of it, you know what I mean? Um, for me to get in and be an actor, which would be great, right, at the time. So I go and I, right away, they like, we want you to specifically read for this role. And they give me the sides. I still have the sides. I was actually going to bring them to and have time to stop by my house. But they give me the sides to Jem, the role Jem. Which was played by uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Renner. So right. okay. I'm reading for the role Jem. I know nothing about the movie. There's not limited shit on IMDb about it. So no one's they don't introducing the cast. It's kind of anything. on the hush right It's now. on the hush. Yeah. yeah. But they know it's, it's coming. And there's... Ben Affleck's got money behind it. He did uh, Gone Baby Gone. So, you know, he's got his shit going. Obviously, it's Ben Affleck. So I'm like, I got this. I'm going to fucking kill this. So I go in and I play the fucking gem, all right? And I fucking murder that, murder, murder that read. Where they're all like, <gasps> and I feel the energy in the room. I'm like, oh, they love me. They definitely fucking love and me. And so you're thinking, you're thinking, I'm getting this. Everybody in, everyone's like, dude, you got this, you got this, you got this. Yeah. Call back next day. And Come that's the thing, and I don't, I, don't, I don't want to cut off the story, but that's the thing. When you audition, because I just did an audition, you know whether they tell you there or not, you know if you're not getting it or if there's a really good chance that you're going to get it. You can just feel it. The same way when you're on stage killing a crowd and you're like, I'm in a zone and I'm feeling good or I'm bombing or whatever. That's, that's the, so you feel like, so you were just crushing the role. Killed it. So they call me back the next day or two days. I think it was the next day they call me for the next day. So you, as an actor, you know, auditioning for roles, the big thing is, they either tell you got it or a callback, you know? And if you don't get that callback, you, you know, you, you it's fucking over. whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Move on from that thought. Yeah. And I get the callback. So I tell everybody, I got the callback. I got the callback. They're like, yeah, you, dude, who else, you know? So I go in. Now they have me read like three more pages. Kill it. They have so me now, kept, now this is your third time? So now that's my second time. Then I go in a third, third time. time. Okay. After the third time, I'm like, all right. They have all these other people in the room. Ben Affleck's still not there yet. Yeah, give me the fucking part already. How many times am I going to come in? All right. Like, we need you to do us a favor. And I knew when they fucking said it to me, I knew in the back of my head, but I didn't want to admit it because I was like, dude, you're just thinking, you know, the the wrong way, the sideways about things because you're thinking this is too good to be true for you, this shit. You know what I mean? Right. So when they told me, we need you to go to Charlestown, just somewhere in the neighborhood, like on a rooftop or in an alley and read this same role with and have some of your friends read with you, you know, like for the other guys. So it was a scene with Jem, Ben Affleck, uh, the dude Slane, and someone else are having like a conversation. So I grab a couple of my friends and we go and it's focused on me, you know, for that role specifically. Like make sure the cameras are on you. They don't have to be, you know, emotional and it just, you know, like any, but they are. My friends, like they, they do what they do with me. We make a little five minute wow, video of the stuff and I go and I give them the video. When I handed them the fucking video, I knew. Yeah. I had a feeling. I said, they're taking my shit and studying it. They ain't giving me this fucking role. I just, I just knew, like I knew it. And I don't know if I created that in my own head and that's why it is the way it is. But sure enough, I never get anything called back after that. And then they start 
going into production of the movie. I'm like, what the fuck's up with that? So I start researching. I find out Jeremy Renner's been casted for this role for like six months already. Wow. So now if you watch The Town. Wow. So, but the great thing about like this, you know, the, the good edge of it for me is that put the fire under my ass to say, I'm making oxymorons. I made oxymorons side by side with The Town. The same days The Town was shooting in Charleston, I was shooting oxymorons. When he blew up the car on the North End Bridge, I was so pissed that he had that budget to blow up that car and everyone was talking. I took my investor's Jaguar and I smashed into a fucking guardrail. One take. You know what I mean? Do that, Ben Affleck. You know? So, <laughs> with a Chilean DP on a red one camera, motherfucker. And Give me your Jaguar. Ben Affleck's pissed So, it was a fire me. under my ass. And it was, <laughs> you know, for me, can I, can I prove that? No, but I got sides for the Royal Gem that were printed out for me with the emails and shit. Before they went, in, you know, just two months before they went into fucking production with the town, you know, so then uh, Chris Farone, who's a you know a writer, and he's checking out the town set, and he's checking out my set, and he's taking pictures on my set, and you know people are asking you know through the circle of Ben like you know questions about me, and, and I'm not trying to start a rivalry with Ben Affleck at the time, like why the fuck would I do that? Even though I'm pissed and shit, it's like he's got Paramount behind. I'm trying to make it into Hollywood. Why would I want to? Yeah. Maybe this dude's gonna say, you know what, this kid's a fucking real street kid. And he's everything that me and Matt Damon fucking pretend to be. And everyone thinks we are in fucking Hollywood because they're not real street dudes. I'm going to be real. And if they get offended by that, then they're just fucking frauds to themselves because they're not street dudes. You know what I mean? Ben Affleck was born in Berkeley, California, lived in Cain. Like, they don't come from any rubble. You know what I mean? By any means. You know, I'm going to be fucking real. And maybe he'll come down on set and be like, hey, you know what? You're a fucking poor kid from the projects that fucking lived a fucked up life. And you've actually put together a fucking real fucking movie crew in your neighborhood you got red cameras you in your shootings you, you shooting shit. a movie yeah. yeah maybe he doesn't even come down and, and pat me on the back maybe you just send somebody and says hey you know what just something you know some kind of of respect you're wearing a square mile we're, we're at, at times that we were shooting the movie we were three fucking blocks away from each other like you don't ignore that there's a pharmacy robbery movie going on the way you're doing a bank robbery movie in that neighborhood and have all this like tight unity to Boston and be making a movie about my fucking neighborhood that's the, it's like the first real crime drama besides Dennis Leary's Monument Ave about my neighborhood and and not have any respect so he's you know he says through third parties you know what I mean oh I'm not I'm concerned with some college kid running around with a handy cam some shit like that he says you know so they asked him somebody doors. actually asked yeah, him someone, hey. someone was somewhere with him in, in, in the circle of things what was going on and it came back to me pretty fucking reliable source you know, it was the person wanted to make the shit up. You know what I mean? Right. It, it was it was unnecessary, and I said that's cool. And I said, you know, I was talking to Farone. He's right. And I said, um, I said that's cool. I said because the thing is, is Ben Affleck. He's got it. He's got Paramount. He's got money. He's got you know all this great stuff going. You know, for him and good for him. I can do that someday. I can have thirty million dollars behind me. I can be shooting with a studio. Yeah. I can be shooting in someone else's fucking town about bank robbers. Whatever the fuck I want to do. And Ben Affleck can never be me, no matter how hard he tries on camera, and no matter how hard that's, you know, the market behind him being some salty kid or some shit that he isn't, he'll never be that, no matter how hard he tries, you know what I mean? He'll never be me, and I'm always me. And you said that on the new, like, I said that, yeah, I said that to Farone, it was written, you know what I mean? And, and then, you know, sure as shit, dude, I'm at Hydraulics in Santa Monica, and the dude that's running Santa, uh, Hydraulics with Santa Monica sees a clip of my film and is so inspired by what I did, donates all the posts to my film like you know i'm talking easily over a million dollars in equity easily like nice and know whose name's up on the board that he's studios paying money to get the visual effects done there the town right on the board 
Tom Cruise's movie and all these other, Jack movie and then there's the town and then Oxymorons is right underneath it with an arrow pointing to the studio editing suites where my films. So there's no way that motherfucker didn't come up the stairs and see that and yeah. be like, who the fuck is this kid? You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. you know. Well, you know what, dude? Yeah. I call yeah. a spade a spade, it dude. Is. And if people don't like me for that, fuck you. How's that? You know what I mean? It's, it is what well, it is, the, dude. The, the funny thing is, and, and I told you about this. I was at an, I was at an, um, I was at an after party. With uh, you know, my dear friend, mentor Bill Burr, we were at an after party in New York, and we're standing there, and there's a lot of directors and people there, and uh, you know, everybody thought I was crazy, but Ben Affleck bumps into me, and he bumped into me enough, and I've talked about this in the podcast, and people thought I was crazy, but I feel like I got validation recently, so he bumps into me, and he bumped into me hard enough where I feel. I mean, unless you're so drunk, which is like, you, a man goes, hey, man, excuse, hey, pardon me. Like, I don't care how tough you are. I don't care. A, a gentleman, when you bump into another person and he hits his shoulder or something, you go, hey, my bad. But I'm, I said to people, he didn't apologize and he didn't care because he saw me with a Yankee hat, right? So people are like, Paul, you're reading into that. So I remember telling Burr, I'm going, Bill, I'm telling you right now. This guy did, and, he, and Bill's like, Paul, you're, you're reading into that. Come on, there's no way he noticed that. So just the other day, somebody said, when Ben Affleck was shooting the town, there was a Yankee hat on set and he stopped production and freaked out. And that's how crazy he is against the Yankees. And I'm, and I'm telling people, see, fuckers, I told you. I knew. My senses told me that if I was wearing like a St. Louis Cardinals hat, he would have been like, or just, or maybe not. Who knows? But I, I thought it was that. But whatever. It is what it is. Everybody was drinking. Let's talk about, I want to talk about some positive stuff about oxymorons. Where did, so I understand that it, it won an award. It got into a festival. It went to, I know it was number one in its genre on Netflix. What did, what did, did, did it do? So I submitted to, you know, sign, like the, the original like idea of when I was making the movie was like, I'm going to make this awesome indie movie and bring it to Sundance and to be the Sundance kid and all that shit. And you soon realize after going to Sundance that that's all politics too. And it don't matter how good your fucking movie is, is you know, oh. it's, it's, it's who's walking it in, who's in it. It's a whole another fucking political shame. Trust Whatever. me. It is what it is. I'm in stand-up. But I, I, I like, you know, I like all inspiring filmmakers out there to know that because I was the kid that was like, take me to the dance. And like, I went to, luckily I went to Sundance uh, three times before I, re- before I made, like during the making of Oxy and the release of it, I went there and studied distribution and festival shit from the back end before going into it. So knowing that um, it's kind of a, you know, a fucked up game, game that you get into. Uh, so I submitted to like smaller festivals that legitimately like would review movies and say, yeah, this is a dope movie. So gotcha. I ended up, well, I was at Boston. I don't want to say the wrong one, but either Boston Film Festival or Boston Independent Film Festival, whichever one it was, you can fucking suck it too because they wanted me to pay $1,000 <laughs> and I don't know which one it was, so I can't put on, it's one of you guys though. That's how unimportant you are to me. I don't know which one it was, but they wanted me to pay $1,000 to be the feature at their festival, and I'm like, I'm from fucking Boston. I busted my ass to make this movie, and you guys uh, um, want me to buy into it? I'm like, this is a fucking, it's a Yaconi-ass festival, by the way. Like, that's a fucking joke. <laughs> and then these rich women out in Gig Harbor, Washington, these, like, women that, <laughs> they're like the chicks in Mad Max, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. The chicks in the new yeah, Mad Max yeah, that yeah, he yeah. finds. <laughs> the, the, these women run the Gig Harbor uh, Washington Film Festival. I submit to them, I don't even know that's who's running these rich you know, fucking white women out there. And they, they fly me out of Alaska Airlines. They put me in a boathouse, me and my manager. They, you yeah. know what I mean? They screamed my movie. I was like, wow. Like, That's some people awesome. up in Gig Harbor, Washington took record, and they said, your movie 
we know what's going on with it. There's stuff going on in Seattle with it, and, and we know it needs to be shown. And we're like, I commend it. You need the big speeches. The and- fucking nerve of these people to just take advantage of somebody who makes a movie, and they know that that person is so excited to get their movie somewhere that they're taking thousands of dollars from people. That's it's ridiculous, everywhere. man. The, in- the independent, you know, if you're independent, if you don't, if you ain't me and have that fucking street shop shit where you fucking play honey badge and you dummy up, and then when they turn yeah. their back, you fucking come out of your paralysis and eat them like a fucking cobra snake. Uh, uh, you don't have like the, the knowledge. Yeah, it, it's it's a rough game distribution and get, like so not just writing a movie, directing, doing all that shit's one thing and I'm proud of myself. But the fact that I've been able to distribute my movie the and get thing, it's yeah. yeah it's that's not it doesn't happen, dude. It just doesn't it doesn't happen. Yeah, and so I'm very blessed and very lucky that I've been able to get a good distributor, still have a piece of my movie. You know, get you know I went to showcase cinemas on uh, National Amusements. And they, they were ignoring me at first. They were like, you know, we don't take independent movies and put them in. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to have everybody that's in my like, little cult base. And I just start sending them fucking emails saying, we want to see the movie in our town. And I yeah. did it. And everybody, like my manager at the time, was like, dude, you can't do that. That's not the way to do it. They're not going to. I'm like, who gives a fuck at this point? What, what are they going to do? Is tell me no again? Like, yeah. So I, and by the overwhelming amount of people that pressured them, they finally said, you know what? We got to do something. They gave me a 50-50 split and screened my, did a test run, and I sold out five, five screenings a day, 280-something seat theaters, back to back to back to back. Nice. And that was like the, ri- that's just how it started taking off. Yeah. And then got in demand. Then did the Netflix thing, which, you know, Netflix was huge because Netflix, you know, it's, it's at that bubble where Netflix is becoming the next you thing. Know, yeah. It's a whole, you know, it's, it's still, you know, mutating into whoever it's going to become eventually. No one really knows, but it's definitely, and so I, it was like free PNA for me. Not only yeah. did I get my movie sold onto Netflix, but it was free PNA. The amount of people now that I've been to connected to through via Netflix was huge. And I, I was, I was the number one reviewed crime drama on there. I had over a quarter of a million reviews, like not even views. I, I'll never even know how many views I had. They'll never tell me that because I'd be sitting a lot prettier if I yeah. got you know money per view. But yeah, per, but by reviews, it yeah. was four and a half stars. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's awesome. Now it's on Hulu, Amazon Prime, iTunes. So. You know, people can catch it. Anywhere, yeah, that's where you know? I saw it. I actually, uh, you know, you had sent me the link to it, and then my wife and I bought a 70-inch flat-screen smart TV, and I was like, I'm watching it on this. So I sat down, and I, I just got it on Hulu Plus, and, uh, and that's where I enjoyed it. So let's talk about um, what you have coming up. You, I know you have some, you have some up-and-coming uh, stuff, projects that you're working on. Yeah, so I, I started, one of the big things with, with Megan Oxymorons, I was so focused in, in wearing so many hats during that production i was like fuck imagine if i had a camera running behind the scenes the whole time watching all these like watching me go to bonstable county jail and getting the sheriffs to like give me the jail for two weeks to film and getting you know dea agents from boston down on my set with their real fucking machine guns putting them to my head i don't even know if there's a bullet in that thing or not and it's gonna go off and bust (laughs) my head on one of my actors heads all the things that that were accomplished during the making of that were just amazing. Yeah. The spiritual stuff at my church, you know, the fact that at my Catholic school that had been shut down because all the weird shit, you know what I mean, that went on in lawsuits, they shut the Catholic school, you know, the Catholic school down. And I went to school as a kid in for first and second grade. My second grade classroom was my, was my, my, my catering room. I turned the second floor of my Catholic school into a police station. Like, that's some surreal shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Finding my father through my school. Weird stuff. If I had captured all that on camera, I was like, that's a whole nother... 
thing that marketing and selling itself that people seem to love when I tell these stories and stuff. And I'd love them for them to believe me and not saying either he's a really good fucking storyteller or he has some fucking unique shit going on in his life. So I started filming um, a docuseries called From the Dirt, which is me now, all the personalities, people like yourself, Bill, and Tom Sizemore. There's a, you know, there's a story between me and Tom Sizemore that's fucking bananas. Yeah. You know, um, that I went out to meet him uh, before I made the film. And he, Tom was like, you know, he was that guy in heat and stuff. It reminded me of my uncle. And I'm like, I want this guy. I love Tom Sizemore. I want Tom Sizemore to be in my movie. And I want him to help me direct it because he's been fucked up with drugs. Everybody knows it. And he's supposedly clean now at, this, at the time. So if I can, it was my first time to L.A. I go out to L.A. Never been to L.A. before in my life. And I got this screenplay that everyone's hot on. And James Gandolfini, God rest his soul, had flown to Boston from New York. Met me at the Kowloon. I need the Kowloon Comedy Club. Because he read the screenplay and was so interested, he wanted to option it from me. James Gandolfini, he was in the Boston Herald, and then Maddie in the morning had me on Kiss 108 the next day. He offered me $35,000 in like 15 points in the back end for my, to take my screenplay over. But he could have made it about four kids in New York. He could have yeah. shelved it, and, and obviously he passed away. Like I said, God rest his soul, but I didn't want to do that. And I told him, I said, I believe in fate and destiny, dude. I'm going to make this happen. He's like, good luck with that kid. And then I remember when I dropped him off at the airport right before he we went through, you know, the security where we, we had brought him back to, he turned around, he looked at me and go, I, I, said, I take that back, I second that fate and destiny thing. Like, I'm not going to shit on that, pretty much is what he was saying. That oh, was that's it. nice, yeah. But because of Gandolfini, it just come, just Gandolfini coming here, being in the Boston Herald and pictures with me, then I'm on Maddie in the Morning, and then I, Maddie in the Morning is like the number one, you know, radio guy around here on Clear Channel and stuff, Kiss 108. He finds out, and everyone's like, why is Gandolfini in town? Who is this kid with this? So he sends a limo to my mother's house. So now I'm doing, like, FM radio in the morning. Like, I used to listen to the station as a kid and, like, calling to win, like, fucking free tickets to a concert or some shit. Now I'm there. Like, and this is a vision I had as a kid. So yeah. this vision I had as a kid of being in that room, getting interviewed, I'm there now. And I haven't even done shit yet, but write the screenplay. Yeah, that's the So best. I submit that stuff to Sizemore's manager and attorney at the time out in L.A., and Sizemore ends up hitting me up a week later and saying, I want to do this with you. Wow. Come out to L.A. So I take everything I got to say and I out to L.A. I know nobody out there at the time. My buddy just happens to have done two tours in Iraq and a tour in Afghanistan. He was a Marine. He was at Camp Pendleton in San Diego. So he drives up from San Diego because he's off duty to tour me around L.A. and be my driver and make sure I'm okay. And, you know, so we go to Sizemore's house up in the hills. It's big pink house. You know what I mean? That You know how L.A. is if you haven't been there. And that's like that. Yeah, oh, when yeah. You first get there, and it's like, that's, you know what I mean? Yeah, from Boston, a- you know? I've never even seen that side of the country before. And I go in, and the second I get in, Sizemore's wearing these white long jump pants. He's got no shirt on. There's a shit stain <laughs> down the back of the long jumps. I already know this is nightmare.com. <laughs> and he comes out, and he's like, oh, you're a Marine to my boy. And he runs in the room. He comes out with a Saving Private Ryan humming out with, like, Matt Damon's signature, Tom Hanks, all these uh, dudes. And, I'm, and he starts rehearsing sergeant lines. With no shirt on and long no johns? No shirt on and long johns to my boy who's a Marine. Now, my boy don't give a... My boy just got some serious PTSD, like, yeah. shrapnel on his fucking back. Like, <laughs> the last thing he wants he, to do he is do that shit. And he don't give a fuck about no actor. He don't care. It's Brad Pitt. No, but he don't give a shit who oh, it is. Shit. He, don't, he, don't, uh, he don't give a shit. Like, he just... Of course. The, the Hollywood shit ain't impressing him. He's doing me a favor because I'm his boy. And... I'm like looking at my friend's neck, his veins are like fucking pulsating. And I'm like, oh, he's going to fucking snap and kill Tom Sizemore. You know what I mean? This is 15 <laughs> minutes into being there. And I go to use the bathroom. I'm like, I use the bathroom, whatever. And there's no running water. 
So he had, you know, he had no running water. He just poor dudes in there, like, still fucked up at the time. Wow. And I had known the kid that plays my brother movie, David Burns. Um, he went to, like, Ivy League schools. He got lucky. He had a tennis scholarship. He got out of the, the streets early. So he, he made it. You know, he, he did his shit. So he was working for this uh, magazine, 944. And he had had me doing some side stuff with them and getting me into, like, the media stuff with no, you know, college degree. Now he was making sure I made money with them. So my way to impress them was I'm going to get Tom Sizemore to be, to be the guest of honor at the Newport Beach, which is like, you know, kind of like ritzy-fitzy area, of, you know, uh, south of L.A., and um, have him be the guest of honor at the 944 magazine party. And I tell them, I'm, you know, I'm going to meet Sizemore, I'm going to bring him there, and this is a political move for me to get not only into the Newport Beach Film Festival, meet people, but the media company. And I already know, like, this is going to be a shit show. So. Yeah. So day two, I call Affliction. <laughs> Affliction had signed on to sponsor me, like give me product placement in my movie and stuff because I knew some UFC fighters, Tim Sylvia's in my movie. was really tight with them at the time. So I called Patsy from Affliction, who's running that stuff. I'm like, hey, I need, and usually tell them like who you need stuff. I need some gear for me. I'm doing the Newport Beach Film Festival. Like, all right, yeah, go, go get your stuff at the, this location. I was, but how would they do it? And, and I need stuff at Tom Sizemore. And they go, absolutely not. And I'm like, why? Because he has like a bad name on it. And they're like, no, because we've already given him stuff. And he goes around the corner. He sells it for crack and meth and shit. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Wow. So then I take Tom over to his storage. He's got no money. And it's like 120 bucks or something. And he's like, I just need $120 so I can go into the storage and I can get some clothes to wear tonight. You want me to do this? I need to do this. And he's good. You know what I mean? And I already yeah. know he's like playing like the, but I'm like, whatever. I pay, I don't give him the money. I pay the storage farm. He goes in, they open the storage farm. They're looking at me like, why are you with this dude? Like this dude owes us fucking tons of money and yeah. whatever. And so he comes up, I don't think none of, he comes back to my, back of my buddy's car and he puts a, a plastic bag down. I look and it's just like, you know, a styrofoam, like someone's lunch, like a lunch thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden a Spanish dude, Mexican dude, what the fuck he was, comes up and he's like, but I'm like, what, dude, what the fuck you talking about? What? Like, what's up? And I'm like, I'm in LA, so I don't know if like, this is some hustle. And like, right. Spanish dude's going to try to like, fucking start a beef. You know, if you're I don't even yet. know what the fuck he's saying. I'm trying to like, decipher like, Spanish shit I heard in jail and in high school. And it's some kind of different <laughs> Spanish shit out in LA that I don't understand the lingo. And he's pointing in the trunk and I'm like, what? And he's like, my lunch, my lunch, my, my, Salsa, whatever the fuck he's saying. And I'm like, and, and Tom goes, oh, that's not yours, Johnny? I go, what the fuck you mean that's not mine, dude? And I'm like, where the fuck would I pull a styrofoam yeah. rice and beans out of my ass from, dude? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I thought it was yours. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so we get him dressed, get this dude back his lunch. And now we're on our way to Newport Beach Film Festival. And it's a long ride to where the point, I start smelling shit. And I'm, you know, I'm a former, you know, street kid that did drugs and stuff. And I'm like, and I look back and he's fucking hitting meth in the back of the car and I'm like boys wow. Marine, I got my history I don't want to be associated with I'm that like, whatsoever so I grab the pipe and I whip it out the window I'm like you can't be doing this shit dude you're going to th he's like you don't understand Hollywood this is what it is you need to be fucked up to survive I'm teaching you a lesson early on kid wow and I'm like what the, the fuck? fuck and he's like I'm going to do you a favor right now. I'm going to blacklist you. I'm calling Nicholson. And he picks up his phone that has no fucking battery on it. You know the ones at the time he was phone with the battery? It's batteryless. And he's talking to Jack in the back seat of the car. But Nicholson isn't fucking there. And he's like, you got to get rid of this kid. And, and so now I'm getting, now I'm fucking. So he's talking to nobody yeah, in the and then and, and so now I'm getting pissed. And the final straw was he pulls out lipstick out of here. this green bowling bag. He pulls lipstick out. And he starts painting it on his face like the Joker. And he's like, and I'm like, I can't bring this dude to the fucking Newport Beach Film Festival. I'm going to look more of an idiot doing this. So I'm like, pull over. I'm like, Tom, get out of the fucking car. He's like, I ain't going nowhere. And he's like, spider monkeys in the back of the car with these alligator boots, like up in the seat in the window. And me and my boy, what? I'm pulling him out. His alligator boot comes off. I fucking whip it into the bushes. And, and then he get, we drag him out. We throw him down on the ground. I'm like. 
seconds away from like kick, giving them the boots on the ground, and I'm like, st- you know, stop. And I grab my boy, who's like, go PTSD, and you're like, oh, yeah, we'll kill him, and we'll we'll poke him up like Tom Hardy style, and uh. <laughs> The last drop and dump him in a, an oil tanker. You know what I mean? And Tom just gets up and is like, y'all fucking crazy to me and runs down the street. <laughs> Two days later, he's on TMZ stealing phones. Now, the sad thing about that is I tell the story. I have to go to Newport Beach Film Festival and tell them this, this fucking story. And they're wow. like, bullshit. You know what I mean? I tell the story to people over the years and they're like, yeah, dude, you're a good storyteller. Um, and it, but it's sad that, that Tom Sizemore was a... And is a fucking amazing actor. Stagnetti and Natural Born Killers. Oh, my God. Just so the, awesome just, actor. So it was a reminder to me of how dangerous drugs are. And to ne- never let the going out to L.A. shit bring me back into any different circles. Fast forward, I make oxymorons on my own and, and do everything that we know I've done. Sure. I'm out filming From the Dirt. And uh, I just did this sponsorship with these bikes. Polaris was giving me these mountain bikes. I was with comedian Mike Favorman. We just did the comedy store. And I don't know what it was. Something to do with like something triggered me to want to reach out to Sizemore. So I had his email on my phone and I just hit him up and I'm like, hey man, remember me, Johnny? I ended up making the movie, you know, and I just want to let you know. I'm just on Atlanta, just wondering whatever happened to you. And I hope, man, you found some sobriety and you're doing good, you know what I mean? And uh, better at least. Literally, I'm not going to say 10 minutes later, dude hits me up and he's like, it's me, Tom, call me, 310, blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, you're going to be fucking kidding me. So my guy's rolling the cameras and I call Sizemore on speakerphone and I'm like, Tom, what's up? And he's clear as a bell. He's like, Johnny, he's like, I've wanted to reach out to you for a while, but I'm so ashamed of what happened. And he's like, I seen your film. And he's like, it's been a huge inspiration to me. Wanted to be clean and not be oh, that wow. person no more. And he's like, and I got to tell you what a fucking job, dude. And I'm like, wow, I never even knew like you seen it, you know, like, and we're going back and forth for like, you know, it's, it's really good stuff. And my, you know, my kid, kid that's with me shooting and stuff. It's like, dude, this is fucking great. He's <laughs> like, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, and I look at like my guys, I'm like, we're not really doing nothing tonight. We have no, you know, nothing set for tonight. I'm like, no, why? What's up? He's like, I'm at the Newport Beach Film Festival. You got to get down here. So I start laughing. Wow. Like, Funny, dude. You know what Coming I mean? Coming full circle here. But dead serious. And he's like, why are you laughing? I go, because that's where I threw you out of the fucking car that night. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's like, that is. <laughs> he goes, well, then you have to come here. This is meant to be. He's like, I'm really here tonight. Yeah. My manager, Charles, is here. He's going to be waiting for you. I'm doing the Jake LaMotta, the Bronx Bull story. You got to get down here. So I'm, as he's saying that, I'm looking it up on my phone. I don't even know Newport Beach is going on this round out there. And I look it up and sure as shit, he's down there. I, so I take the, the drive down again this time, you know, Tom Sawyer's my time too. He sees me, you know, on my cameras and stuff. You know, you got Tom Sizemore, who is an iconic actor. He grabs me and pulls me on the red carpet and verbatim tells a story I just told you to the fucking camera. To, like, wow. like to a T, from the stealing the dude's food, the helmet, my marine friend thinking he was going to get killed by us and outside the, the festival. The fake phone call and lipstick is so fucking yeah. hilarious. And, that he, and, he, and, he t- and he tells it with <laughs> such sincerity of like, that's, that's how bad drugs fuck you, you up. up. Like, yeah. That is a funny story. And it is funny. He laughs as he tells it. He's like, but it's fu-. So then his manager, the dude Charles, ends up talking to Tom Abbott. Like, I really like that kid. And I like everything he's talking about and what he's doing. So Stars hits me up and they want to talking about doing something with me for... Um, to put oxymorons on stars, so I, I use that as my kind of segue card to call Charles Lago up, Thomas Manny, like, now I got something else to give this dude. I'm like, hey, you mind representing me, on managing me on this, you know, distribution stuff out there and my acting? Nice. And he's like, absolutely, I'd love to. I'd love to, Johnny, from London. Make a long story short, I've That's been out great. there, you know, three times now, hanging with Tom, 
helping Tom fight the, you know, the fight because it's every day is a fight for him. And he just did uh, the Indianapolis with Nicolas Cage about them sinking the uh, sub in, um, on his way to Japan. Yeah, like the soldiers. yeah, yeah. Shock-eating movie, big-budget movie. He's having that rebirth right now. He's going he's gonna to have his comeback. You know, if Tom Sizemore can come back clean and do some really good um, A-list films, that's bigger than Robert Downey Jr. coming back because that gives people that yeah. have been getting fucked up for a really long time hope that, wow, shit, I can actually stop what I'm doing right now even though it's been 20-something years and, and, and flip the script real quick. I don't think Tom Sizemore's done any bad role. Everything I've seen him no, in, I loved him in the heat. He was great in Saving Private Ryan. He's just got that, you know, he's just got that intensity and he's, he's a, got that he's face, a real man. He's a real dude from Detroit. He's a yeah, real dude yeah. from Michigan. He had some fucked up shit. Is it, you know, he's a real dude, so he puts that out in his well, acting. Well, it's like what you said, though. You said, and I always said, is life balances it out, you know? There's a reason why it, it's a balance of life. You go out, you have a lot of drinks, you smoke cigars, you're having a great time. The next morning, you're paying for it. That's life. You can't do that and feel great in the morning, and you had the hard life. He did, and then all of a sudden, look, he happens to be at that same place after all that time where you kicked him out of the car, he's got lipstick on his face, he's saying he's going to blackball you, and next thing you know, you're, his manager's picking you up, signing you, and you guys become friends, and your movie helped him. So it's just all comes the, full circle, And which the great is thing about all this is this is all being captured on camera this right. time. You know, I've set it up this time, so it's all being captured on camera. And, it, and that's just one of my personalities, because he's a you know, strong personality, and he's the most focused dude that's supporting my acting. Like, so now there's this new movie I can't talk too much about that's coming to sure. the New England area, and there's some really cool people interested in having roles in it, but Tom Sizemore is, is one of those people attached to it. Great. And he told my manager who has control of it, Johnny needs the lead in this movie. Like, my biggest advocate. Johnny, this is his role. This is what's oh, going to... that's great. We need to give this to him. And I'm like... And I first thought maybe there was some, like, side... And it's legit. Like, it's legit. Yeah. And it's like, wow. I'm, you know, I was down in Hartford um, with him on set for another movie he was just doing about two weeks ago with my daughter. And it's so tiny, he loves my daughter. Yeah. So just like have that full circle, like go yeah. back to the beginning of making Oxy and then be in a hotel with my daughter now hanging out with Sizemore in the hotel That's room. That's great, man. Watching Kennedy assassination stuff and talking conspiracy things and then being on set and him telling, you know, the producers, hey, this is my buddy Johnny, give him a golf cart. Me and my daughter just driving a golf cart around set all day. That's it, great. It, that's... That's my. That's the like you know. That's the goal. That's where it's at, dude. You yeah. know, like those moments and 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 taking advantage of every little fucking thing I can to make the next steps. That's I'm awesome. only as good as the next thing I'm doing, dude. You know, so. And dude, you're a hustler, dude. You're a hustler, and uh, you know. I'm glad we met last night. Speaking of hustling, last night, and thank you so much. You, the great Ben Hill, came out. Everybody's at you know, and it was great because you know. There's a lot of people there last night, and I'm working on stuff, and you come in, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to tape some stuff. I'm going to just, you know, tape some stuff. You were, I noticed this, you were to the right of the stage, I see the light. Then I'm walking over. Then you happen to be in the fucking audience with it. Then you were behind a pillar. I swear to God, this guy was like a fucking ninja last night. You would have thought there was, was like a full crew. In the, like, I'm, I, I was did, like the butler on that, Adam. Very, very <laughs> sneaky, sir. I mean, yeah, yeah. It just like appeared. He just fucking appeared. Like, and it was just filming. He's like, yeah, I got this. I got that. I got the crowd. It's like, so you could just tell, man, you're, you're a, a hustler, man. And, well, uh, I, I, know, I know, you know, I awesome. knew I was coming. I knew you did the comedy show. I didn't know if we were going to be able to even film there because, so I had to hit, you know, it just so happened is that my friend that was my boss originally at the comic section, Ryan Cott, my, my man, he does GMs there, whatever. So I hit him up. He's yeah. like, yeah, you clip the shoot. So I'm like, whatever you need, Paul, come in. I knew people were going to be there and stuff. I was like, I got to go in and do this, you know? And I didn't have time to call anybody or get anyone down. It was like, and I just came in and I, that's how I work best sometimes is 
not pl- I just I go and I just do it. I just know yeah. in my head the cards are gonna fall into place. You're gonna get it done. And the comedy room is something I know. Even if I haven't been in the room, it's an it's an easy shoot. And then yeah. to have a comic just keeping the energy in the room the way you had it going, it was easy for me just to kind of float around and that was a great and, time and, and, and do that for you. And not, you know, dude, no doubt. I mean, that's nothing for me to do for you. I, I I'm inspired by your comedy and shit. Obviously, uh, I appreciate it's not just it. like you know we we become friends through you know through Bill. You know, I know Bill just from this little stuff at the comedy connection and stuff. You know, not as t- even tight as like you and him like have a really great relationship, but you know, yeah. then I link up with you and we have our own separate yeah. connection, you know what I mean? And then to have someone like Bill Burr, who in my eyes is like, like he's my favorite comic. I'm oh, just saying that. To, I'm not trying to suck your dick, dude. I just, I really think you're that good. <laughs> and then, but for him to send people out to like, check me out and what I'm doing, the, yeah. the things like that, like then that's, that gives me that like, Dude, you're doing your shit, dude. Yeah, Every day yeah. is a constant reminder that I'm getting it done. And it's the same for you, dude, you know? Yeah, and it's the thing I always said. Like, you know, Bill is a really good judge of, of you know, just people, good people to be around. And, uh, you know, he, when he sees people hustling and stuff, and it's amazing how the same type of person attracts each other in this business. You know, this is a hard this is a hard business that doesn't owe you anything, whether it's stand-up or anything. This is a tough fucking business, you know? It's a dog-eat-dog business, but I think the good people and the hustlers and the people that want to be around each other and migrate towards each other can create great stuff. And, you know, and that's what, um, that's what you've done. And, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, you know, obviously we'll do it again, but for anybody, uh, that has not seen oxymorons, it's available on Hulu plus. I know some of my listeners contacted me after I talked about it on the show and they told me that they liked it. So now you're actually hearing from the writer, the director, you know, the star in it. Um, check out the movie, watch it. It's very check, real. Check it out. Not only just check it out. If you don't like it, go on and say what you don't like it, but I don't care. Like be real. I, but I genuinely see you liking it because most, you know, most people, especially people listen to your show, are going to have that same kind of like mindset yeah. we do and, and really enjoy it. But, but remember that this isn't a movie with a huge, like, like spread it, like, you know, talk about it on your social media if you yeah. want to, even if you're saying you fucking hate it and it sucks or what you, I don't care. Just talk about it. Talk real about it and just keep talking about it. Because yep. oxymorons is one of those things that as much as I'm trying to step away and do the next thing, it's still a cult thing that's still, we're sitting here talking about it today and I've met you through it and I'm yeah. still doing things through it to this day and it's never going to go nowhere. and that's your first film that's your baby forever yeah, that's, that's never that's going it. anywhere it's never going nowhere yeah. so I only can do is better than that you know and, and that's going to be hard to do but I'm going to do it yeah yeah of course so you ch- are so check it oxymorons you know Hulu yep, and iTunes then, Amazon Prime and from the dirt look from out for that dirt, that's going to be a, do- a docu-series that, that's constantly being worked on by Johnny um, and that real quick I want to give a shout out to when I just met you in New York thank you to the, the shot crew and all the skaters that came I'm not even a skater, but all the kids that, all the kids, no pun intended, that were in the movie Kids, all that, that whole skate crew, the Dizuya, all them, Eric Monday, who's going to be um, in, working on the next movie project with me, he brought out this, I mean, the, these dudes accepted me like family, and that's like a whole nother group of people I've attracted myself to, and, sure. and a whole nother market that I get to share with, which is the skater, all these skater guys, that are, it's, it's, it's bananas, it's a, it's you know, so you got the com- comedian world, you got... You get skaters, you got MMA fighters, and you get act. It's just, it's, it's awesome where oxymorons and where my journey has brought me to today. Yeah, and it's gonna be fun so to check see it out. to yeah, see yeah. where you know where it goes. That, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you for being a guest. It was great. As far as my plugs, guys, uh, you're probably not gonna hear this before tonight's show at Laugh Boston, but uh, you could go to paulverzi.com for all upcoming shows. Um, and I will be at the uh, Just for Laughs Festival 
in Toronto, September 27th through October 3rd, and other a lot of other dates uh, coming up. I'll actually be out here. I'll be headlining the Comedy Connection in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, I believe the week before Thanksgiving. Um, all that will be on the website. Follow me on Twitter, at Paul Verzi. That's V-I-R-Z-I. Uh, this has been part two. So you guys know the unacceptables. Send them to unacceptablesfortve at Gmail. And uh, thank you, Johnny, for, for being no on the show. It was a great no, time. No we'll talk Any, more. Anytime. Yeah. We got a lot. We got a lot of history to uh, build. So, we, you know. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna, it's gonna be great, man. I love when you come out to shows when I'm out here in Boston. Thank you, everybody. That's it until episode uh, 219. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Later.